Welcome to the Radio 191 FM podcast. It's history time. Come on, tell your friends. We'll visit New Zealand's ancient lands with Jamie the host and Dr. Valetta Gillibut the historian. Our fun will never end because it's history time. Right now, I'm joined by Dr. Violeta Gullibert of the History Department, still, I think, of Otago, but kind of also in Auckland. Are you still at Otago? Uh, not technically, no. My account's shut down, but I'm still doing uh, some work, well, plenty of work, actually, with uh, academics over there, which I'm really enjoying. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, good, good, good. Yeah, yeah. Right, since, <laughs> since the 1840s, Māori have lost possession of most of their lands um, through illegal and morally dubious means. That land loss has been a major focus for Māori activism over the past 50 years or so. Um, we're going to look at some of those protests, uh, the activism and o- occupation around this uh, during this program. And I guess you, when you want to talk about occupying lands in Aotearoa, you begin with um, Takaparafa uh, or Bastion Point in Auckland. So... If you want to also look at that, we've got to go back uh, 80 years or so to 1886. What happened then? Well, 1886, uh, confiscation of land, essentially. Um, Mm -hmm. So the government uh, in 1882 brought in a public works act, uh, which allowed them to build a military outpost on the land and take it as their own. Uh, And this was part of, uh, you know... uh, much wider string of uh, legislation and uh, just military conquest uh, which took place across New Zealand so by the time uh, the the protests at Bastion Point took place uh, less than five percent of New Zealand's land was in Māori hands uh, as a result of this kind of you know acquisitive drive on behalf of the crown shall we say yeah yeah and so they use that land for defense up until 1941 uh, and then 1941 it was no longer used for that purpose so the government decided to do something else with the land, but instead of giving it back to Ngāti Whatawa, they did something else. Mm, they sure did, yes. Uh, 1940s, you'd still hope that you know the land might go back to its original owners, but no, it was uh, gifted to the Auckland City Council for a, for a reserve, I'm afraid. Yeah. So uh, the final insult came in 1976. Uh, there was the announcement of plans to develop Bastion Point, uh, essentially, selling it to the highest bidder for high-income housing. You might picture Queenstown or Wanaka or something to, to that effect taking place there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that happened. The government made this announcement and Nati Fatawa was like, no, I don't think so. And then a committee was formed. Yes, uh, the Orake Māori Action Committee, along hapū lines, um, they staged an occupation eventually. So uh, over 1977 and 78, this uh, action was organised. And they actually took up, uh, you know, occupied the disputed land two days before construction was due to start mm-hmm. uh, to prevent Muldoon's government from essentially reconfiscating it. So uh, the occupiers did a bit of building of their own. They constructed a marae and some housing. They even uh, put crops down, vegetable gardens and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we might see it as a very early precursor to what took place at Pihimato, which we're all probably more familiar with. Yeah. Yes, yes. But I mean, this, you know, this is the first action of its size, I guess, in the 20th century, right? Well, yes, uh, but, you know, uh, not entirely unknown uh, in New Zealand's history. If we look back to the 19th century, uh, the most Kind of early protest movement was the Kingitanga, 
with a king movement. They were pan-tribal. Unfortunately, plenty of confiscations resulted from uh, their resistance of crown acquisition uh, the 1860s. The crown essentially read uh, this movement as a rebellion against the crown, invaded and confiscated very large parts of the Waikato and also uh, Taranaki. So in addition to all that um, kind of moral, deceptive practices of imposing debts or unwanted surveys, Kinitanga movement uh, was met with some pretty punitive action. And you also had um, the prophetic movements like Pai Mariri and uh, the Ringatu movement. Uh, so there was a, a sound basis, uh, but not familiar and certainly not familiar to uh, many Pākehā at the time. Mm-hmm. And Bastion Point was not long after the 1975 land march. Well, that's right. Um, yeah, and it seemed like some gains had been made. Um, the, you know, the land march achieved enormous publicity. Um, 60,000 people signed a petition. The Hikoi, led by Fina Cooper, was um, very widely known and it did seemingly uh, bring about a change in attitude, but uh, the state didn't really uh, kind of embody or reflect that change in how it approached uh, the occupation of uh, Bastion Point. Yeah, yeah. Occupation was for quite a long time, uh, but it wasn't without um, pressure from the government and the powers that be to quash it, was it? Well, no. um, It was a pretty extreme, uh, you might say. So, yeah, occupation, 506 days, ended on the 25th of May in uh, 1978 by a, a mass police raid, essentially. There were some 600 police and military personnel they went in there, um, they removed occupiers and they destroyed all the structures, including the marae, even the vegetable gardens, you know. Um, so, yeah, uh, it, was, it was a bad look. 222 people were arrested. Mm-hmm. So huge, a huge arrest of massive numbers. So, of course, quite a bad look, bad publicity. Um, even in the 70s, people were like, oh, what about the land march? What about, you know, uh, kind of... Uh, doing better. So the land was eventually returned in the 1980s, but it it was um, certainly, you know, it took place, uh, actually coincided um, that mass arrest with uh, another protest yes. over in Raglan. Yeah, yeah, just down, just down the road in, in the Waikato, Raglan Golf Course, with the occupation of the ninth hole of the course. <laughs> yes, uh, well, that's the thing. Um, the nine hole, so a similar situation that, that you described with Bastion Point, where the land was taken by the government um, from Tainui Afiro during the Second World War, um, in this case, to use as a military airfield, um, was leased by the Raglan County Council um, to the Raglan Golf Club in 1969. So, look, well after um, military operations had been packed up there, wasn't even a very good airfield. Um, yeah, so a nine-hole golf course was kind of um, didn't cause too much disquiet, but then it was expanded to an 18-hole golf course in the mid-70s. And so burial sites were bulldozed. And uh, another sacred area, which uh, was the residence of a tanifa, was turned into an effluent pond. Yeah. So it was so distressing and so humiliating for the iwi. Um, Eva Rickard, um, an activist, uh, Wahine Toa, um, staged an occupation, well, led an occupation in uh, 1978. And um, she and uh, 16 others were eventually arrested for trespass, which is a pretty, uh, you know, kind of imposing private property over the whenua. Yeah. Um, they were arrested on the ninth hole, uh, but there was some 
pretty kind of, uh, you know, intense police action there as well. The land was eventually returned in 1987. But we're kind of seeing this dynamic developing where um, the state resists with the police before eventually doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Essentially, yeah, that there had to be, um, that, you know, these protests were quite um, integral to eventually getting the land returned and for, for great reasons too. Um, so once uh, the land was given back in 1987, um, Tainui Aotearoa put a kohanga reo there. Yeah. A language nest, you know, instruct the tamariki, uh, a training centre, they're doing, uh, you know, social services programs to help uh, folks to just come out of prison, addiction issues, mental health issues and what have you. But there's a hostel there um, for a retreat for school children too. So a lovely reading that I found just in my research that while the golf club was an exclusive place, this was a very inclusive one and it was used by a much wider variety of New Zealanders um, and certainly in, in a more just capacity. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned Eva Rickards there um, with the Raglan Golf Course. Um, and if we go back to Bastion Point as well, some of the most important figures within Māori activism and Māori as a whole came out of these protests, right? These movements. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've, uh, we've mentioned um, Sid Jackson last week, and so he, he was arrested with Eva Rickard too. Um, and and a few others, yeah. Um, that, that was kind of uh, the spark that ignited this this um, stream of other actions to resist uh, the government kind of uh, the continuation of Ropatu essentially of confiscation but through um, shall we say more respectable legal means at least according to some um, still the presence of, of police and the military um, did really reveal you know the kind of colonial origins of uh, what was taking place there. Yeah. Um, during the mid '90s, they kind of saw a new phase of activism. There was, a, you know, it was only you know not only ten or so years. Well, actually, more than that, since the Waitangi Tribunal had formed. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't that long since the first settlements were being made. Uh, but not everybody was on board with a lot of these things. Um, so there were a lot of protests at Waitangi Day, and like, and then we had some more land occupations in 1995, a big one in Whanganui, uh in Motua Gardens. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, so this was a 79-day occupation in 1995. The um, Whanganui folk uh, kind of occupied uh, the Motua Gardens. Um, so this was beside um, the Whanganui River. Mm-hmm. It was resolved peacefully, which was a, a lovely change. <laughs> yes. But at the heart of all of it was um, the, you know, the, the Iwi's claim to uh, the river, which was seen as both an ancestor and a source of, you know, material and spiritual sustenance. While it was resolved peacefully, uh, unfortunately, there was very heavy police presence. Uh, yes. About a thousand reinforcements ready to evict uh, the folk occupying the land. Um Whanganui Kaipuke Prison was even gazetted as a police jail to enable it uh, users hold, holding cells and whatnot. Um, it was a very seedily named uh, Operation Exodus to kind of coordinate the efforts. Um, and even police raids uh, claiming that you know there was drug users and criminals kind of occupying the land, but unfortunately that was a whole lot of fluff. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of denounced as a dress rehearsal for that forced eviction, an attempt to provoke violence, to intimidate the occupiers. Um, so eventually, uh, 
these folk left, but not without uh, a whole lot more ill will building up um, between between the state and protesters. And so that kind of carried carried through, um, actually inspiring other protests quite directly. Yes. Um, so we had uh, the folk from Takakue, a small Northland settlement. They occupied the local schoolhouse, demanding, you know, some recognition of the title where the school stood to be returned, that it was um, purchased illegally and disingenuously. This one uh, didn't go well either, at least, you know, from from the perspective of what we consider to be a good protest action or a well-responded-to one. Um, but the school was uh, eventually set on fire and the protesters were removed. So mass arrests as well there. The trend continues. Yeah. Yes, yes. And then we get to Huntley as well. Mm-hmm. We sure do. So this was another um, inspired by the Mortua Gardens uh, protest. So Huntley, it's a small coal mining town south of Auckland. Mm-hmm. Uh, another confiscation site, this time from, from the Tainui Iwi, and uh, owned by Solid Energy which was a state-owned enterprise previously, Coal Corp. Um, So those occupying the land were demanding both its return and coal and mineral rights, the ones that the state currently held. So housing was another issue here where um, there had been a, you know, large settlement deal kind of put on the table between Tainui Māori and uh, the government's, you know, the state, turning over a good, you know, 86,000 acres or so. But again, folk weren't really satisfied uh, that this land would be used properly. Uh, a lot of folk were, were renting while land was being returned and uh, in their eyes at least being controlled by an elite minority where it should really be returned to the people. So that was kind of objecting to uh, the exclusiveness, we might say, of the, of the treaty process that they, that they observed there. Yeah. And uh, for the most part, the, the actions that we've talked about, um, they've had uh, across the board support um, from iwi leaders and um, young protesters and activists. But then we get into something that kicked off a couple of years ago um, where that wasn't necessarily the case. Correct, correct. Um, so... Yeah, as, as we saw last week, those intergenerational tensions between like the more conservative older folk and the, the young radicals, we might frame them simply, um, that were united by, you know, the land, which was both an element of Māori losses and hopes for the future. But yeah, in the case of Ikumato, it was cer- certainly more divisive and um, those divisions aired very publicly. Yeah, so um, again, a, a very similar story that... Uh, 1863, tribal land was cleared and confiscated by Governor Gray for Kikitanga support during the Waikato War. The land was uh, farmed for quite a long time and eventually sold to Fletcher Housing in 2016 with the plan to build uh, 480 houses. So, I mean, the the private sale itself was contentious, but also um, the positioning of those homes or the, the building that was proposed to take place. The Tua Tua are stone fields. An archaeologist, Dave Vert, described it uh, as like building houses on the fields alongside Stonehenge, which yeah. I thought was a very potent, you know, that um, the, the stone fields and the wider land has just such a long history of uh, spiritual and material significance uh, to the folks who, who lived there and who were affiliated with it. And, uh, you know, that kind of private sale just seemed very callous and uh, very unjust. Yeah, yeah. And 
there was already some land given back to hapu and iwi um and and that was enough to satisfy those uh, kind of more conservative uh, older maori but that was an issue for the young activists absolutely yeah um which kind of brought about tensions because you know in opposing the sale these younger folk were going against uh, the wishes of their, you know, their elders reportedly. It was framed as being disrespectful um, in some mm-hmm. camps, but in a wider sense, it was perceived as, you know, a, an important um, an important undertaking. And certainly a lot of people agreed, joined the occupation, protested in solidarity in Dunedin and Wellington. The United Nations heard their case and, yeah, um, Definitely very divisive, and a, a lot of folk um, certainly didn't understand. Um, Ikumato seemed like kind of an obscure rural patch of land, and um, a lot of New Zealanders, uh, I don't think, quite understood the significance of what was taking place there and its uh, place in that wider history of protest movements that we've talked about. Yeah, yeah, and I guess it's one thing we haven't really touched on, but we can kind of do it with this one because we kind of know what went on in a way. The Pakeha reaction to it. Um, of course, at the moment we're going through a housing crisis, so a lot of Pakeha, especially in the media uh, and some political, were saying, you know, we need this land, we need this work to be carried out, we need these homes um, to be built. So you young upstarts, you know, you got you, you got some, you got you got a portion of your land that should be enough. Yes. Yes. Well, um, I wouldn't really agree with that. No, um, that's just my opinion. That's just my opinion. But uh, yeah, no, th- those were definitely, uh, you know, and in some, ca- uh, in plenty of cases, those uh, those claims that uh, you know these folks should be satisfied, should leave off, should let these houses go up, um, were voiced. Uh, I don't know, very bitterly. It, it yes. really was um, quite a quite a divisive um, situation. But yeah, definitely a lively one. I mean, probably the longest occupation that we could uh, that we could describe for four or five years in total. It's still ongoing to this day, actually. That there are a fewer people now that the government has reached a deal with Fletcher Building, um, but others still arrive to take their place. Numbers are fluctuating, um, but by and large. Um, the the movement has kind of died down. We we got somewhere eventually, but it was a long hard road, and um, unfortunately, police involved as well. Yes. Plenty of uh, petitions and appeals and hikoi along the way. So I mean, if we start from you know the early occupation uh, that was led by Panya Newton, who formed Seoul Save Our Unique Landscape. So they led, well, were led by this group set up camp um, beside the Ihumato Quarry Road on the fourth of November, 2016. And uh, so the camp became known as the Kaitiaki Village, which is very appropriate. You know, the, the caretakers, overseers, tents, sheds, even an empty boat were used as, as accommodation. And uh, that was kind of the, the base camp for the movement. But they definitely took their case uh, much further afield. There was a United Nations appeal in 2017. And then, of course, uh, petitions to Parliament, petitions to the Mayor of Auckland, the Auckland Council. Unfortunately, after about three years of occupation, uh, an eviction notice was served to the protesters in 2019. And that's when the police uh, started to get more heavily involved. The first arrests began with six and then seven more uh, for blocking traffic. A few others, 
There were clashes between police and protesters a couple of months later with uh, police accused of using kettling techniques, you know, unreasonable force, intimidation, intimidation of numbers. There's also that rather sorry situation of uh, security guards being housed in um, very inappropriate conditions, you know, without running water or um, suitable accommodation to apply pressure to the protest movement. So again, not great, not great, but we got there in the end. December 2020, the government finally reached that deal. But there was certainly a, a lot of reluctance, especially on part of the senior leadership, um, Jacinda Ardern here, leaving it to senior Māori ministers to negotiate um, and to be the public face of uh, the government's response. Um, arguably would have been served better by, you know, uh, more presence yes. on the part of the state. Without doubt, without doubt, she was invited multiple times and, and never went, and that has been, um, I think, one of the great shames of the current Labour government. But as you said, it's not over yet. Uh, there has been a deal reached with Fletcher uh, for the purchase of the land, but what happens with that land in the future, where it goes from now, is not history yet. No, 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 still ongoing. And still uh, we'll ongoing. come back to it in future, yeah. We will, we will. Um, all right, well, there's a, a quick insight into the past 45 or so years of some Maori activism and occupation of lands uh, in Aotearoa and I guess if situations continue on long may these occupations also Oh well, yes I mean they've been proven effective in multiple cases uh, not you know uh, not without controversy not without conflict um, but in you know the case of returning the whenua to the people disputing ongoing confiscations and alienations then yeah uh, we love them we want to see more yes as they need it Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, Doctor. Um, thanks very much. Kia ora. Uh, All right. Enjoy your holiday to Otipoti. Well, enjoy it immensely. I, oh my gosh, need to uh, you know give my nerves a rest and get the heck out of the city, back to my uh, dear southern province. You've only been yeah, there for five minutes. Recording next week. Yes. Oh, no, it's been a month. It's been a month. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thank you so much. We'll talk yeah, again, Jamie, thanks. Bye. Dr. Violetta Hilbert there. History Time on the One Radio 191. This was a Radio 191 FM podcast. All of our content lives online at r1.co.nz.